What's up, ZB Nation? It's your boy Josh Wolf here, live from Berlin, Germany. I'm sitting here with the engineering manager of the ZB team, none other than Sebastian Mensky. Hey, Josh. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy release schedule. I know you're preparing for the release party and presentation tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And you've been building uh, the first production ready release of ZB. We will build that, yes. Oh, it's not built yet? It will probably be built next week. Uh, we are still waiting for a new license to okay. include into the project. But in general, the technical stuff is done. It's just now like cleaning up some legal issues. Okay. Well, tell me about this production thing. So like, there's been a bunch of releases, at least like 18 of them. Yes. And this one is the first production-ready release. So what makes this distinct from any of the earlier releases? It's like the first release where we claim that you can use it in a production environment where we say we achieved a minimal viable feature set for the first use cases we see. We say it's kind of stable in a, in a cluster scenario, it's fault tolerant, like it can take over if some nodes die. So we reached also kind of a major, like a good uh, moment in time for our API, like it was feedbacked a lot by users and now we want to say we don't really guarantee 100% API stability, but we will do it on a best effort basis. So like if there's not a really good reason to break the API, it should be stable. Okay, so you're pretty confident now that you got the shape of it right. Yes, we are feeling quite well with that now. Like in the last months, we had like a lot of talks and user feedback, which gave us really good insights and like we're all really interested. So now we want to get the feedback from people in real production scenarios and how it works out there. Mm, awesome. And uh, do you have many people using it in production scenarios at the moment? I know that it hasn't been production ready up to this point, right? But are there any crazy inventors out there? We at least had some users which were really pushing for, we will go with that in production even if it's not production ready yet. Um, but I think at the moment nobody's fully in production, but now with the new release they might go there. Okay, so they could, they can bet on this new release that, okay, a technical investment in building on top of this isn't going to be like washed away with the next point release. Yeah, you can be sure about that and if you want to go production we can always like we, we are interested to hear about it and we want to support you if you're interested. Okay. And you've been working on the ZB project for how long now? I guess it's now like two years or maybe two and a half. I'm not really 100% sure anymore. Okay, that's a long road to a first production release, huh? Yeah, we had kind of a like interesting journey. Like uh, we started with a kind of different version at the beginning, but then while we were developing and we discovered that it might be too much or too complex for the first iteration. And also we got feedback from users, which then allowed us to adjust our architecture to come up with a really nice bundled feature set, which is now the thing we will release and hope people can easily adopt it in their environment. Because mm, some of the user feedback I've seen from people is that it's too simple for them. Like they want more complex BPMN support, they want complex message correlation, that kind of thing. So, you know, how do you strike the balance between those two? Like what I was talking about complex was not like the BPMN feature set, but like when we started the project, we, we developed a lot of underlying technologies or invented, not invented, but like redeveloped it. And so that took like a lot of time because it's complex and stuff like that. So we weren't really focusing on the workflow aspect. Oh. We were more... Uh, um, focusing on the distributed system aspect. And 
when we then decided to switch focus on the workflow more and like take existing software to get the distributed system right, we can now finally start to implement the whole BPMM feature set, which will happen in a near-term future. I see, because yeah, distributed systems is like a, um, a kind of a, a pretty mature space, right? There's like exactly. technologies already in there. Yeah. It's kind of this combination of distributed systems with workflow technology that makes Zebra unique. Exactly, and like Camunda is a workflow engine company, like this is our speciality, like this is where we're good at, so we should focus on that part and take existing software for the other parts where we are not experts. We can build it, but it will take us time. And what I want basically for that project is that we are a distributed system with like proven technology underneath, and then the feature-rich workflow engine on top, which is our expertise. Okay, so kind of the the two-year journey to the first production ready release is in in part being like developing an internal distributed systems capability because yes. that's like not part of uh, hasn't been part of Kamunda's DNA up until this point. Yes, that's true. Okay, so you got a team. So this ZB team is like the the Kamunda distributed systems team. Yes. That is true. Um, like, I think at the Kamunda ZB team right now, there are like three developers which worked also on Kamunda BPM before, like our existing workflow engine. Okay. So they were not really experts in the distributed systems. Uh, we now hired, for example, last year, end of last year, two um, people from the university, like Deepti, uh, which finished her PhD this year as a distributed system engineer, and Miguel who also finished his master, I think, last year in the distributed systems engineering space. Wow. So, yeah, you can call us now the experts <laughs> of distributed systems in, in Camona, yeah. Okay. And what was the what was the most uh, unexpected thing or surprising thing for you in developing ZV? Like, I wouldn't say it was surprising. It was just like when you, when you looked at it, um, there was always so much more things we had to do until we finally hit a space where we could say it's stable and like it's the feature set because while we were developing the distributed systems, we didn't really have time to implement more BPMN and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, users are interested in BPM, they want to use BPMN. So you were kind of always like fighting your own timeline to get things which are interesting for user, but also get the system stable. So that was the challenge. It was like learning how to approach uh, these problems and how to manage that and like cutting the right uh, feature set for the first release that was really interesting but um, it wasn't really surprising that it's a lot of effort and a lot of complexity (laughs) (laughs) software building software 101 right and what about what was what was the most fun thing out of doing the whole journey for me the whole journey was really interesting because the like as I personally grew from a developer when I joined ZB to now being uh, to becoming the tech lead and then the engineer manager, I really liked how the team developed over the time to be like one team together. Like together they are building this project together, they are working, and to see them grow and um, grow together, it was really interesting to see that dynamic because. At the beginning of the project, everybody was kind of overwhelmed by the complexity, what we are building and stuff like that. Mm. And then when we tackled together all these problems and also adjusted our course to what we have now, um, I saw more and more the team growing together and becoming a an union and work together for the same goal. And everybody is behind that goal and that's really nice to see. And how have you found that going from being like pure technical to now becoming a people manager? What's that been like? Interesting. Yeah. 
It's um, yeah, I'm still not sure about that part. No, um, it's it's interesting. Like it's a new challenge. It's totally different topic. It's uh, I always like to manage stuff like manage a project or stuff like that. Being a people manager, that is a totally new thing for me. Where I also have to grow a lot. Um, but it's interesting to see how people react when you try to help them and like give them a nice environment to work in, and then you get the good work back. And that's really nice. So I still have to learn a lot there. Mm. And uh, what were you doing before you went on to ZB? Before I went on to ZB, I had a short-term appointment in what we nowadays call Kavemo on our online collaborating model system. I was one of three engineers in Commander who bootstrapped that project, like setting up the first infrastructure, building the first prototypes, bringing it to a state that the team could take over it. Um, so that was my, I think that took a year before I joined ZB. And before that, I worked uh, on the Komuna BPM platform and a lot of projects around it, like small libraries, like uh, script engine support, uh, BPM model API and stuff like that. So more supporting the, the major platform. Okay. So that would have been like Java and then JavaScript, right, for Kawima? No, I didn't. I, I think I did one or two JavaScript commits, but they weren't really good. Okay. Now, like in Kavemo, my thing was like Java backend, yes, and then mm. also mainly setting up the infrastructure, like DevOps style kind of things, like deploying it to AWS, setting up Terraform and stuff like that. Okay. Well, yeah, with ZB, it's like a polyglot environment, right? Because the, the work is the microservice work is decoupled from the engine. So you got like, um, I was talking to one customer or user this morning. Uh, who's writing in C sharp, and then there are the guys who brought out the um, library in uh, in Montreal that's in TypeScript. So you got like a bunch of different. And then someone was asking for help with Go today. So how have you found like going from like a pure Java kind of environment into this kind of polyglot world? Like for us, that was always the goal. What we also currently strive to achieve is the Kamuna BPM platform, where we're also going more into this external worker pattern. Um, because we don't want to exclude anybody from using our software. Just because we write it in Java doesn't mean you have to write Java. And that was always our goal, to achieve that as a company. Um, and with um, ZB, we now took the choice to use, for example, gRPC as our protocol or um, our, our communication interface with clients, which already brings out-of-the-box support for, I don't know, 10 languages or so, where you can basically generate stubs for your gateway interaction and then can write small SYN uh, clients around it, which is really great because that allows you to go to a community who's not interested in running Java, but you don't have to tell them it's like you don't have to maintain Java. You basically start a Docker container. You have a Kubernetes deployment yeah. or may, might have like a SaaS offering, like a cloud offering where you just connect with your worker. And as the workers or like the, the clients in general are really thin by this generated code and just small wrappers around it, it's really easy to just embed them and they're also not complex. Our protocol to interact is kind of, I don't know, 10 commands or something like that. So there's no real complexity there, but it allows you to just embed it into your existing workflow, into your existing systems. And that's what we always wanted in Commander. Mm. Who do you think is this is a good match for, like, with this new production release coming out? ZB itself, where it is in terms of its maturity, 
like the kind of languages that it supports, the kind of you know functionality that it has. Like who who would who is this the answer for? It it really depends what your use case is. Like um, if you really have simple workflows or simple correlation of messages or um, like in simple, I mean like not complex uh, conditional stuff. I mean even conditions are okay, but like. Um, it highly depends where you're coming from. If you're coming from an e-commerce system, that's normally okay because then you normally have like kind of a linear flow of your system and then maybe some uh, boundary events which are conditionally executing a notification or a cancellation if something happens. So that's easy to do with CB right now. If you're coming from a microservice orchestration situation, there we already saw really good interests from people which are using Kafka already and can just use Kafka to publish their messages to ZB to kind of orchestrate their workflows with that. Because there you also don't need that many features like uh, collectivity or multi-instance in BPMN. You already are with the features that we have fine. Like you can just use it and collate the messages and then send new messages to Kafka to basically orchestrate your microservices. But we're really interested in what will be the use cases we first see. Like whenever somebody comes up with a new use case in the Slack channel, I'm always interested to know what's mm. going on. Yeah, I saw one the other day from Holland of like a chat bot. Yeah. With a decision tree. Totally fine. Yeah. Not, not something that I would have thought of myself for it, but it seems like once people get their hands on it and start looking at their own problem space, they find new ways of... Like, even I came up with a way to use it in Minecraft, you know, which wasn't, like, an obvious thing. I mean, also by this, like, uh, separation of workers or externals, really simple to plug in external systems. Like, for example, for the chatbot, like a DMN engine, or if you want to have some kind of, I don't know, um, face recognition or something like that. You can already have that. Like, we don't have to build anything for that. That can be a normal task in your workflow. And you just connect like whatever wrapper you need to your external system and let it implement the logic. Hmm. It's kind of like anything, anything that has like a flow of um, state over time. Which is mainly everything. Anything, yeah, yeah. You can extract that out into the engine and then yes. just like write your stateless workers or whatever you code. Yeah, and the nice thing is if you make that in a workflow, it's it's easy observable. You always understand what's going on. And it's also easy to refactor, like you can decide to change the order, you can decide to parallelize something without touching a single line of code. Mm. And what about um, organizations that have never used BPMN before? Like it's kind of, it is kind of a new technology, right? I mean, it's there for some years now. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like, you know, it's, C or it always, Java. Or... Like it really depends on which community you go. Some communities are really aware of that. And some communities never heard of it. But for example, what we also tried while we are now working on ZB for a long time, um, that for example, Bernd, like our dev advocate of Kamuna, went to different communities, like let it be like the microservice community, the Kafka community, let it be the domain-driven development community. And like figuring out with them that they actually have a need for workflows or like that they can use workflows in their in their communities where they never thought about it because often people uh, associate with workflow something big like a big I don't know IBM workflow engine or something like that where you mm. need a database and then you need like this big Java monolith there and stuff like that and then you have no code solutions where you point and click and drag your process together and that that was never Kamunda that's also not Kamunda BPM Kamunda BPM is lightweight 
Like you can embed it everywhere. Does it need a database, Commander? Commander BPM needs a database, yes. Okay. Um, and ZB doesn't use a database. ZB doesn't have a database at all. ZB has a different architecture, like the common workflow engine architecture, something like you have your workflow engine which defines what's the next step, like what's the decision to make, like what should happen next. Mm -hmm. And then it always has to record or keep track of the current state in some kind of storage where it's normally a rational database. Um, this can lead to this database becoming a bottleneck. Um, because if you scale your workflow engines, they still write all to the same database. So it means like the reads and write are kind of competing against each other. If the database goes down, all your workflow engines stop. Stop, yeah. And as everybody also writes in the same database, the data set grows, which again uh, impacts your current performance and stuff like that. With ZB, we changed the architecture to like every workflow engine, like every part of the cluster has its own state, like it writes a log of events, what is happening, and also has like an in-memory state of like what's my current state. And with that, the workflow instance itself or the workflow engines itself don't compete on these writes and reads. Um, also, you kind of partition your data set into multiple smaller chunks, which are easier to handle. And ZB then also makes sure that from your local state, there's always a copy on another broker. So in case this broker dies, another broker can take over where the last one left. So that's kind of why we call it the horizontal scalable fault tolerance uh, workflow engine out of the box. Mm. So that's um, like kind of like event sourcing. It, it's more or less using event sourcing for generating that state and then taking regular snapshots to not always reprocess the whole log and also be able to delete data which is not needed anymore. So the snapshot is like a snapshot of the current state projection? Yes. And then you've got this kind of sharding idea which is very similar to like MongoDB. Yeah, like everybody does that, like Kafka or whatever. Like normally when you, when you have too much data and you don't want to write it all in one, you pr kind of partition your data or shard it as you say. And then ZB that's built in, like every broker kind of, or like every broker, like every broker can have more shards than uh, one, but like you kind of define how many partitions or shards you want to have, and this allows you then to scale that out. And what was the rationale behind calling them partitions rather than shards? Is That's there, is there some, technical, <laughs> some technical reason for that? I actually don't know <laughs> when we decided that, but as far as I know, since I joined the project, it was always called partition for us. Okay, so you just went with it. Yeah, I oh. guess so. Okay, because, yeah, I, I mean, they're called shards in um, Mongo and other things, right? So it's kind of a familiar concept. So basically a partition in ZB is the same as a shard in Kafka or... Yeah, for example. Okay. And so that's the uh, event sourcing. You got the um, no database uh, sharding across different brokers. Yeah. And then you got like a gRPC at the front with like 10 simple commands yeah. to interact with the workflow engine. Exactly. And then there's like a gateway and a broker, like two separate things. Yes. The thing is, like, when we, like, in the first, I think, 11 versions or so of CB, uh, we still had an architecture where every client was connected to every broker for performance reason, because it's faster if you do it that way. 
Um, but what we learned there is like this kind of limitates how you set up your environment. It always requires kind of the clients to be in the same network in the same cluster than the brokers. And also to know exactly the architecture. Exactly, exactly. it also makes the clients really uh, uh, sick clients because they have a lot of logic inside. You have to figure out what's the topology, who's to where. Yeah. yeah. So that, that that brought more problems that also kind of blocked like something like a SaaS offering where you just have one endpoint where everybody should connect to. So at this moment, that was, for example, one reason why we changed the architecture when we discovered that this can be a big problem for us. We decided let's go for a gateway architecture where you have like a single entry point into the cluster, which then does the logic of distributing work and routing stuff around because that cluster will always be together. Like there's no reason to put that out. But the clients should run or should be able to run wherever you want. And they just talk to a single endpoint, the gateway. Exactly. And that distributes it. Over the brokers. Over the brokers in the cluster. And also routes it to the right brokers in case it has to be to a specific broker. And I I saw um, for the Kubernetes setup that you have to, at the moment, tell the broker or the gateway when it starts, the contact points, like all of the brokers in the cluster. For the gateway, you have to tell them one, I guess. Uh, for the brokers, it's important at the moment that you tell all of all them. All of them. That's the reason for recovery. There are scenarios we discovered where it can happen that if one broker is isolated by network partition, um, then in a really strange case, it can happen that this broker might not figure out all the cluster again when it rejoins. And by just specifying all of them as initial contact points right now, this is like a simple workaround to prevent that situation, which is really uncommon. Okay, it's a real edge case. Yes. Corner case. And it's and at the moment, clusters are not dynamically scalable anyway, so it's not going to change at runtime what the topology of the cluster is apart from failures. Yes, no. Like, it's not dynamic at the moment. Uh, we might add other options to not always specify all the brokers, but maybe give some DNS service name or maybe allow multicast or stuff like that later. But right now, it's just a simple solution to provide everything. Okay. And tell me about some of the technology underlying ZB. I know um, you switched to using Atomics. That was a big refactor, right? From, what is it, 16 to 17 or 17 to 18? I'm actually not sure, was it 18 or 17? I guess 18, I would assume. Yes, like that is like the part which I meant before. Like before we were building all this replication and uh, gossiping and membership protocols inside the cluster ourselves, which is like a topic on its own, like a really complex topic. And also, if you make the small mistake, it can lead to a total failure of the cluster. Yeah. Uh, so... I mean, we implemented all of that and that worked everything, but it was not battle-proof. Like, nobody ever used that in production, so how can we be sure that we didn't make a mistake? So we took the then the decision and the big refactoring to decide, okay, let's use something which is already used by a lot of people outside, which is battle-tested, which is already in version 3, currently developing version 4 of Atomics. So why not just use that? And... Um, the funny thing is like when we then started to use atomics and also looked into the code and like debugged bugs in atomics which of course are also there but like we noticed that the code is kind of similar what we wrote in last year so we (laughs) were also quite able to understand the code and uh, help and find bugs there and support that open source project again so contribute Mm -hmm. back upstream our findings and our bug fixes but like it removes a lot of complexity from zb itself 
it just has now like what was now the challenge is to integrate it with the remaining systems of CB. But um, yeah, like I think Atomics is one of the bigger projects we use inside the project. And what has it been like developing ZB as an open source project? Like you just talked about, like contributing to Atomics as an upstream, you know, or a dependency of ZB, and then ZB itself is an open source project, right? Like how 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 has that been as like a, you know, engineering and working with a open source community? Are there many contributions from outside the company, or how's that going? Um, like personally, I like to work on open source projects. That's also why I kind of liked when I joined Kamuna that Kamuna BPM, the main platform we support, is also open source because I, I like the interaction with the community and that you can just show people, here's the code. If you find a problem, please let us know and maybe you can help us already to fix it. Uh, that's also why I was really happy when we decided to start CB as an open source project. Um, and I like the interaction with the community. Of course, SCB is like a complex project. It's quite hard from outside person immediately to understand what's going on. Also, like it's a company-driven open source project, so it's kind of also you cannot that much influence the roadmap. Of course, we're always listening to user feedback and are interested what are the features you want to see next mm. and then decide our roadmap. So, like, yes, there are open source contributions to ZB but at the moment they are quite limited which is okay I hope they grow in the future what what else is really nice is like the, the community that was built on run, uh, around ZB like a lot of people started to build workers like a lot of people started to implement um, yeah like clients and so that that's always nice to see and that's also a nice validation that they find that project interesting enough to spend their time to build something which is interacting with that project and that's always what I like to see and also like in the last months the, the activity in the forum and in the Slack grew a lot and that's always awesome. A good sign, yeah. And so if someone did want to see a particular feature or influence some aspect of the ZB the implementation, what what's the kind of best route for them to take to do that? I mean, the first initial step can always be a GitHub issue or an asking in Slack or forum. If, you have, for example, somebody wants to implement with his company a first uh, prototype or something like that, they can always contact us and we're happy to have a call and like figuring out maybe what are the missing features, like what, what is the potential here in this use case. And if we agree with that use case, we are always interested to put that on our shortlist and maybe use it then for the next quarter as one goal. Um, so... In general, it's just asking for and like describing your use case to us so we can understand what's going on and why that might be a really interesting use case. And then we will decide based on the feature request from the community what will be the next BPMN feature, for example. And what about if they were like, hey, we can implement this, like it's open source, we can code it? I'm always happy to see a, a pull request. That's, that's, that's awesome. Like if somebody has the time and has the interest in building that we were always happy to support them like open a github issue discuss with other like the feature scope like what should be implemented how could it be implemented we are happy to support everybody there and then when there's a code uh, pr basically we will review it and if it's good we will merge it and if it's not good we will give you feedback and maybe you can improve <laughs> <laughs> we will we will summarily close it and delete it no okay but yeah, it's probably a good idea to like um, discuss the feature scope 
and direction. You know, I once did this massive refactor of an open no, source project do and then sent a pull request, and they're like, dude, the ship has sailed. No, no, please. Like, that's that's important. Like, like a drive-by PR, which is like uh, deleting 20,000 lines and adding 50,000 lines will probably never be merged. So the, the right step is to open the PR, uh, the issue, sorry, the issue, discuss the feature set, discuss if we are really interested so nobody wastes time on that. Like, that's also what I don't like. If somebody opens the PR and I have to say no and this person, like, spent, like, multiple days to work on that, that's not, not nice for any one of us. And then maybe they do a hostile fork and then have their own version. I mean, when you want to fork it, fork it, go for it. I guess that's really a sign of success, right? When, when there are forks of your project... If they live long, yes, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People care an- enough enough about it to actually put time into coding on it. Yeah, yeah. And so, what's next then for ZB after this first production release? What's what's coming down the pipeline? I mean, we will continue to improve uh, everything we already have, but like we already know, the next BPMN features will be like the multi instance, the arrow event, and the event sub process because we think that's good next features for common use cases like data pipelines, for example. Um, we will also improve kind of... Um, what does the error event do? Is that a way of like, can you put that on the boundary of a sub-process? You can put it on a boundary, you can put it as like a start event in an event process or something like that. It basically yeah. allows you to do error handling inside your process. So if I, do, if I fail the job inside that process, it'll trigger that event? Like... We didn't implement it yet, so the <laughs> API is not defined. But yeah, okay. what the idea is basically that you can decide, hey, this is an error which the process is handling, like different to this is an unexpected error. I don't know what's going which on. Which would ra- raise an incident. For example. Um, but like sometimes you have error cases which you want to model in your workflow. Sure. For good reasons. And we want to allow people to do that. And that's why the error event is important. Yeah, because if it can happen in any of a number of places along the flow, you don't want to have to put a check in after each one, right? You just want to throw inside there. It's like a big try-catch block. Yeah, or like even maybe even you don't manage to get your um, job worker to be idempotent. Like what happens if the first try didn't work and you're not sure about it? Like should I try it again? Would that be worse if it happens twice? Like if it's like a credit card... Uh, um, charge or something like that you might not want to do that twice so Mm. uh, it's just like yeah it's basically an error case which you want to model okay so there's the error there's the multi-instance multi-instance is a construct in BPMN which is really useful if you have kind of a data set where you want to have like um, like kind of the same instructions or the same sub-process on all of this data set. So like, like paralli- parallelization? Yeah. For example, this map reducing what you once modeled where you had to escape into another process, that would work inside that process itself. Okay. So on you could have, for example, yes, you could have like a process variable, which is a list of customer data, and then you could have a multi-instance sub-process, which then per customer would be executed. Okay. So the, pro- the, the process variable would be like an array? For example. Okay, and then when, when, when the token hits that multi-instance... There would be then one instance of that sub-process for every customer. For every element. 
Okay, so I guess in the properties, you've got to tell it what variable to... Yeah, yeah. normally you have to specify, like at least in Kamunda, as, as I said, we didn't build it yet. Let's sure. see what ZB comes up with. But yeah. for example, in Kamunda, yes, you specify like uh, the name of the variable which contains the list and then it will work. Okay, that's handy. So error events, multi-process. Multi-instance. Multi-instance. Multi-instance is not limited to subprocess. You can also have a task which is multi-instance, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, depends what your use case is. And the last one was the event subprocess. That's basically a subprocess which is not embedded in your flow. It's kind of separated and can be started by an event happening, like okay. a message event, a timer event, an error event. Can you... So, this is an event emitter? No, it's a... Collect. Event catch. Yeah. Okay, so how is it different from like a message catch? Um, because normally it has to be in one flow, like your workflow has to reach that message event so it's active. Uh, like you have, I don't know, like start event, a task, then you hit the message event where you wait for a message. But yeah. like sometimes you have use cases where no matter where you are in the process right now, mm -hmm. in case this event was triggered, like a timer or a message or an error. Isn't that like an interrupting boundary event? It can be interrupting and non-interrupting. Both p per things are possible. Okay. So, yes, for example, in an interrupting case, you can say, um, when this happens, everything should stop and I will do something different. Yeah. That would be the same as when you now in ZB just put a big sub-process on your whole process and put a boundary event on it. Mm -hmm. But like the, often there's the use case for the non-interrupting. You want something, like something happened in, in the process or outside the process, and you now want to react without interfering with your normal flow of the workflow. Instance. Okay. So this is kind of handy that you can have that as like a event reaction. Yes. But I still don't get what makes it different from like the current message one. Couldn't you model that with the message right now? Um, if you would start your process with a parallel gateway and then there would be the message event, yes. But for example, a non-interrupting uh, non-interrupting events a process can also trigger multiple times and stuff like that. It's just a nicer way to model it. Yes, probably you can always find a workaround to model that, but okay. that makes your model first of all probably hard to read and to understand. With that event process subprocess, you have a nice um, separation of concerns. Like you have your main workflow what is the normal flow of your workflow mm -hmm. and then you can have like event triggered sub processes okay and i know one of the things that's kind of asked for sometimes by people or missed is the ability to emit messages out of the workflow somehow mm -hmm. that's like the are you now talking about normal messages in bpmn like the send uh, task or the uh, message throw event yeah, like at the moment you have to do publish ZB message, right? Or publish message mm -hmm. or something like that. Yes, um, that's a feature which we also have on the kind of feature list of BPMN. It's kind of on position four. Okay. <laughs> so like in case we finish all the three, that would be probably the next one we will build. Okay, so there's not as much demand for that one or you don't think it's as useful? Uh, it's hard to tell what is the most useful one. We now decided on feature on feedback disorder um, it's always hard to tell what's the most requested one that's what we heard that's what we think also makes way more 
um, use cases available by just adding. For example, just adding multi-instance will change so many use cases. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think at one point near this future, in the near future, we will also have message. So. Okay, and is there a place where people can go to like vote or to see what's coming up, to vote on it? Is there like a roadmap in GitHub? Like, do you pin issues to milestones or how does that work? Um, on ZBIO, there's a roadmap available where we normally update once a quarter what's our upcoming goals, like what did we decide it on. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really have milestones, like we have milestones on GitHub, but they're not related that directly with uh, upcoming quarters. Um, so in general, there's no main place to vote for something, just like open an issue, open a forum thread, or like ask in Slack, that's that's the way how to give us input. Okay. And then we always collect that and then decide at the end of each quarter what will be the next quarter. So we also don't have like a long-term, of course we have long-term goals, but like we don't know yet what will be the next BPMM features we will build in the fourth quarter, for example. Okay, so that's open for invention. Yes, of course. Open, taking DJs, taking requests. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, look, congratulations on the first production ready release of Z-Beats. Thank you. A long time coming, and uh, yeah, it's a victory well worth celebrating. Oh, yeah. <laughs>